If you would go in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, and uh, we're going to be looking uh, at Matthew chapter 1, and then we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 as well. Uh, so if you have your Bible app, there won't be any issue. You can just tap on over, uh, or you can turn in your paper copy of the scripture. If you do need a Bible, just slip your hand up, and uh, Gary will get one to you. And as you're turning there, let's pray and ask God to bless the, the, the reading and the, the teaching and preaching of his word. Jesus, um, Father, our Father in heaven, in, in the name of Jesus, we come to you and ask that you would speak. Holy Spirit, that you would have freedom through your word to speak to your people. Uh, this is your word, uh, not mine. Uh, this is your Bible, not mine. This is, uh, this is your sermon, not mine. And so I just pray that you would um, have your way and speak through uh, your word. And, uh, and you would just have freedom if, if there's anything that I've prepared to say that would be unhelpful, uh, that you would just edit me. And uh, if there's anything that I haven't prepared to say but you know needs to be said, that you would just uh, help me to say it. And uh, as the kids are looking at these same stories in the other room, Lord, we just pray you would use these stories to shape us and to fashion us into the image of Christ and to build your church here in South Florida to help us people, to, so that we would find and help people to find life like God intended by bringing people to you and bringing people together through the cross, that we would truly uh, live a life of wholehearted worship, that we would find uh, joy in, in authentic community, and that we would find purpose in our joyful mission that you have given to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So yesterday morning, we went to a, an event here in the city of Lighthouse Point where uh, we went to the fire station and they had like, you bring gifts, it was like a toy drive. And then there was a time where you could go to the library and uh, do a little craft and they had these craft tables set up. And so Laura and me and then our three kids went over to the library and, uh, and they got set up at the craft table and I promptly uh, abandoned them and went over to the biography section because I love books in particular, uh, uh, in general, and I love biographies in particular. And this year I've been just devouring uh, different biographies. Last year I, I got on a kind of a Teddy Roosevelt binge, and so I like, do a lot of audible uh, audio books. I did like five uh, Teddy Roosevelt biographies last uh, year, and then this year I read uh, a, a couple of Lincoln biographies, and then I just finished this one on uh, Ulysses S. Grant, and, uh, and, and that was really, really powerful and really good. So I'm in the, the biography section, and my wife is, is managing all three kids by herself because that's the kind of good father and husband that I am, and I went and I was looking through these biographies, and this, there's something about uh, a biography that's uh, pretty standard throughout a, a, a whole biography of a person's life. They always start in the same place. They start with that person's parents. A good biography will lay the foundation of the person's story they're trying to tell by, by starting with that person's uh, parents. And, and when we look at the, the story of the birth of Jesus, it's really the same way. Uh, at Christmas time, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, as you know. And we find his story in, in the Bible. And the Bible is, um, is, is, a, is a book that's actually an anthology or a, or a library of 66 different books. 
And 39 are split into the, the first part, which is called the Hebrew Scripture or the Old Testament. And then there are 27 books in the second part called the New Testament. And the first four books of the New Testament are the biographies or the stories of the life of Jesus. And as we look at where these biographical portraits of the life of Jesus start, two of them start with his parents. Matthew is the first gospel, and it starts with Jesus's earthly father, Joseph. And then Luke is the third gospel, and it starts with Jesus's mother, Mary. And as we see the stories of, of Mary and Joseph in the beginning of the story uh, of the life of Jesus, we see that God chose these two people, Mary and Joseph, and he chose them for a very important role and a very important part in the story that he was writing of the world and the story of his eternal son, Jesus. Mary's visited by this angel, Gabriel, and he tells her she's going to have a, a child even though she's a virgin. And then Joseph finds out about it and he's going he's to sever their engagement. It would have been a legal arrangement. It wouldn't have been uh, full marriage yet, but it would have been a legally binding arrangement, and so he would have had to divorce her, and because she'd been unfaithful, he would have been legally allowed to do that, and he's going to do that, and then an angel comes to him and speaks to him. And God chose these two people for a very specific role and a very specific task to bring about the earthly life of the Son of God, or to be a part of the earthly life of the Son of God. And, and while we now, so many years later, are not called to that specific role, we are still called to follow in the pattern that they set. Because our calling is not the same as their calling in specific, but our calling is the same as their calling in a general sense. Because while they were called to be supporting characters in the life of Jesus, we are also called to be supporting characters in the life of Jesus as well. And so from Matthew 1 and Luke 1, we're going to see uh, a, a couple of ways to be faithful supporting characters in the story of Jesus and in the Christmas story. The first thing we're going to see in Matthew 1, 1 through 17, to be a faithful supporting character in the story of Jesus is to read your history to discover your destiny, to read your history to find your destiny. Matthew 1, 1 through 17. Now, we're not going to put it on the screen because it's a long list of names. It's one of those parts of the Bible that people talk about sort of like, uh, because it's one of the genealogies. There's a lot of these all from Genesis all the way through. There's these genealogies. And while they're not exactly thrilling to read on the surface, they actually play a really important part uh, of the storyline in establishing uh, the, the, the basis for the story of Jesus. And so in this case, they, they establish the lineage of Joseph. Now, this is not how I would begin a story. This is not how I would begin uh, the New Testament if I was God. Now, I'm not God, in case you're wondering. I'm not God, and so I, God knows better than me. But to me, it's like, why would you start a, the most important part of the most important book of the whole world with this genealogy, and it's because in this genealogy we see the way God has been working and writing this story from the very beginning. We're, we're going to read verse 1, uh, and I'm reading the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. 
on account of the gene- an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So, so here we see, and this is actually, uh, the, it's actually literally in, in the original language, a book of the Genesis, a book of the beginning. It's the story of how Jesus' story got started. And what we see here is two things. Jesus is called the son of David, and he's also called the son of Abraham. And that's important because Abraham was the one so many thousands of years before Jesus' birth who had been given the promises by God to be the one who would bring blessing to the world. See, all of humanity had fallen into sin and rebellion, and all of humanity had been separated from God because of their sin, had been separated from, from life through death, spiritual death physical death and ultimately eternal death. And and God has said, this is not the way it's supposed to be, and this is not how I'm going to leave it. And so I'm going to set in motion a plan to make things right. And he he did that through Abraham. And he said, through Abraham, Abraham, through your descendant, I'm going to bless all of the nations, all of the world. Every person, every people on the earth is going to be blessed through you, Abraham. And so when it says Jesus is the son of Abraham, that's what it's Sane. And so Abraham got married to Sarah, and they had a son named Isaac, and Isaac gets married to this girl named Rebekah, and they have two sons, Jacob and Esau, and Jacob is the son of the promise, and he has all sorts of family drama, but ultimately ends up with 12 sons, and the one son, Judah, is the one who is prophesied and chosen to be the one who would be the, the son of the kingly lineage. And Judah's son has a son and has a son and has a son. All the way down, you see through this genealogy from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah to Perez to uh, Hezron to Aram to Aminadab to Nashon to Salmon to Boaz to Obed to Jesse to King David. And he says, Jesus is the son of Abraham and the son of David. Now, why is David important? Because in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God had promised to David, you will never cease to have an heir to sit on the throne. You will have an eternal kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. Now, the problem is David had a son named Solomon, and Solomon did a lot of good things, and he did a lot of bad things. And Solomon's son was kind of a a loser and a joker, too, and he ripped the kingdom in half. And on and on down the line, all of these kings, some good, some bad, but none of them fulfilling what seemed to be this grand destiny that God had promised for David's son. That is, until the true son of David came, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of, as it was perceived or appeared, Joseph who is in the line of David. So we see here that that when Joseph gets engaged to this girl named Mary, and Mary gets pregnant, and she's never been with a man, and it's this miraculous thing, and he's like, he gets told by the angel, we're going to talk about that in just a minute, that what God is doing is he is establishing the legal heritage of Jesus in an earthly sense through Joseph. That Joseph is, though he's not Jesus' biological father, he is Jesus' legal father. And so he, therefore, Jesus is a true heir of the throne of David. And also in Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 38, we're not going to turn there. Most uh, uh, historically, this, this has been seen as a genealogy of Mary. And Mary, too, we see, is a descendant of David. As well. So, both from his mother and his earthly father, Jesus is a descendant of David and the fulfillment of God's promises. Now, what does this mean for us? Here's the thing God doesn't make mistakes when he's writing your history, God doesn't make mistakes when he's putting your story together. You know, your family drama, that's not outside of God's plan. 
You know, your, your messed up decisions, the stuff you've royally messed up in your life, that's not outside of God's preparation for his plan for you. Your heartbreak and your failure, things that have been done to you or things that you have done, all of that God is using in order to prepare you for your destiny. Now, the word destiny sometimes gets abused by like self-help gurus or like what I call prosperity light theology, where it's not promising health and wealth, but it's sort of promising this, this grand purpose that will lead to sort of your best life now sort of thing. Well, God I think the word destiny is a word we need to reappropriate for the church because what it's talking about is it's talking about the plan that God has for the world and the plan that God has for his people. God's plan for the story of the world and God's plan for your story is the destiny and he's uniquely crafted you and your quirks and your eccentricities. You have been made by God in a certain way for a certain purpose. For Mary and Joseph, that part of the story was to be the mom and the dad of Jesus on earth. Now, your story's a lot different than theirs, and so is mine. And your story is a lot different than the person sitting next to you. Your story's a lot different than everyone else in this room, but God has been preparing you. And you were born when you were, where you were, to who you were, for God's purpose and God's plan. And what God is doing is He is putting in place all of these pieces for your purpose his, your place in his purpose. I don't know if you've ever had a puzzle, right? And so, so we have puzzles, and, and this is why we don't have nice things at our, at our, in our family, because we have kids. And so we have puzzles, and we don't... Now, so we actually, um, we have puzzles, but we never have all the pieces to the puzzle, uh, at least not after the first... We build it one... We put it together one time, then we put all the pieces back together, and somehow we get it out the next time, and there's... We put the puzzle together, and you get the outline of the, you know, you do the outside first, and you put all the pieces together, and there's that one missing piece. And you get 90, it's a hundred, say it's a hundred piece puzzle, and there's one piece missing. It's only one percent of the puzzle is missing, but man, if you have any sort of like type A, you are like, that just drives you crazy to have a piece missing from the puzzle. Even if it's just one seemingly insignificant piece, the puzzle isn't complete without it. God has been putting this puzzle together called the story of the world, the story of his son, Jesus. And he's, he's writing this story. He's putting all of these pieces in place. And he has designed you and crafted you. And he's written your story to be a part of this puzzle. I mean, for me, your story is different than mine. But my, sto I mean, my story in, in God's providence goes like this. There was a guy and then he met a girl. And uh, they fell in love, and they got married, and they were basically hippies in Northern California, and they would listen to all this folk music. They found out that she was pregnant, and so they're listening to all their 70s folk hippie music, and they listen to this song by Kenny Loggins called Danny's Song. Like, man, that'd be cool. We should name our son Danny. And so here I am. Even though we ain't got money, I'm so in love with you, honey. Everything will bring a chain of love. And in the morning, when I could sing the whole thing for you. I actually, really, it's a really good song. And when Danny was two years old, this pagan hippie couple got involved with Amway. And through Amway, they met someone who knew Jesus and invited them to a Bible study. And Danny's dad went to that Bible study, and he heard the prophecies uh, that, that Jesus had been prophesied 700 years before his birth. 
He's like, wow, I never heard that. And they shared the gospel with him for the first time, that, that he was a sinner in need of a savior, and that sin separated him from God. Sin separated him from life like God intended, and ultimately sin would separate him from life eternally. And that unless he turned from his sin and trusted in Jesus in his life, death, burial, and resurrection, that he would be lost. But that if he did, he would be forgiven and given eternal life. And he, he, he'd never really heard that before. And he went home and he told Danny's mom about that. And, and Danny's mom, she grew up Roman Catholic. So she knew a lot of the, the, the facts of the story of Jesus, but she'd never really understood that she had to personally trust in Jesus for herself. And that night, God did a miracle, and he changed the life of those two people and their two-year-old son forever. And he grew up in a church and got really involved with youth group and then started teaching Bible studies and felt called uh, to ministry and went to seminary. And his parents always told him, he's, you know, you'd hear growing up, uh, you can do any, it's America, you can be whatever you want to be. And they would say, yes, except there's something that comes first. You have to be whatever God wants you to be. And so when Danny said, hey, I think I want to go to seminary, and they, they did nothing but encourage him, and they helped him and helped put him through seminary, and in seminary he met a girl named Laura. One thing led to another. They had three kids and started a new church in Lighthouse Point. Uh, so that's, and now they're just one, two pieces of this puzzle. We're called Cross United Church here in Lighthouse Point in South Florida. They're just a couple pieces of the puzzle, just like you are pieces of the puzzle. And you know what? God has determined for you to be a part of what he is doing in the world and here today for this moment, whether you're here just for today or whether you're here many, many days in the future, God has put you here as a piece of the puzzle, just like in the story of the world, he's made you as a piece of the puzzle. And what he's doing is he, he's, he, didn't, he didn't make mistakes he didn't make mistakes when he decided who your parents would be. He didn't make mistakes when he d decided where you would be born and where you would move and where you would live. He didn't make mistakes when he decided what language you would speak growing up. He didn't make any mistakes when he chose which school that you would be going to. Even if you thought you were choosing in the mysterious providence and sovereignty of God, he was superintending your decisions in some mysterious way that we can't quite understand how it works. But God is writing your story. And all of your life experiences, the good and the beautiful, the bad and the ugly, God is preparing, God is writing your history for the purpose of preparing you for your destiny. Your history is actually his story, and your destiny is for his glory. Your, your history is his story, and your destiny is for his glory. So I just think about your life. How has he uniquely shaped you and prepared you for the moment in which you find yourself? There's four things I think you can think of. Number one, your history and your destiny spiritually. Your history and your destiny spiritually. He's created you. There's an old something called a catechism, and it's a way of teaching people the faith, and it's a question and answer. And the, there's an old catechism called the Westminster Catechism. And the first question is, uh, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what's the purpose of man? What's the purpose of humanity? And, God, and it says that we would... Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. God has created you to be in a relationship with Him and to enjoy relationship with Him and to be in a, in a, in a connection of, of a, a network of people 
of other Christians and other people who know him as well and who don't know him as well and to be in this dynamic thing called a relationship with God. Now, some of you, you're not, you're not a Christian. You've never, you've never made that real personal decision and step of becoming a Christian. Others of you would say you're a Christian, but you're not like, you're not like serious about it. You're not like super serious about it. You're not religious about it, you could say. Let me just challenge you that without a doubt, God is, this, I can say this, I don't, there's a lot of things I can't say with certainty about what God wants you to do, but I can say this with certainty. God wants you to follow him with all of your heart. God wants you to follow him. He has created you to follow him with all of your heart. He has created you to know him and love him and trust him and follow him wherever he leads. This happens in several ways. Here we like to talk about three things, worship, community, and mission. God shapes you by being a part of the worship of his church. It's not just Sunday morning, like, you know, routine of church, but this is, this is the, the gathering of the saints of, of God on earth. And he shapes his people through the hearing of the word, through fellowship, through singing of songs, through the table, the elements of the table, through all of it. He's shaping the life of his people. And community, you can't do this alone. You have to be in a fellowship with other people and mission by, by following Jesus on what he's doing in the world, which is making disciples of all the nations. I can tell you for sure, your history is leading to what, what I think should be your destiny and God wants to be your destiny and for you to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ and to have that be something that's actually really, really important to you. Number two, uh, your history and your destiny in terms of your family. You know, he's created you to be a member of a specific family. He's created you to be a member of a specific family, whether it's through biology or adoption or however that he has shaped that. Today, the kids are learning the same stories, and they're learning about how God gave Jesus a family on earth. If Jesus needed a family, the Son of God needed a family, how, how much more so do we need family? Family is the building block of society. This is how God has designed the world to work, to build families into healthy units that can be cohesive and, 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 and healthy to be a contributing part of the society where they are. And so you have a role in a family. Maybe you're a grandmother or a grandfather, or maybe you're a son or a daughter, or maybe you're a brother or a sister or a mom or a dad or a cousin. You're probably some combination of all of those things. What does it look like for you to take seriously your family role that God has decided to give you? How can you walk in faithfulness? And how has your history prepared you for that destiny that God has for you? Number three, uh, your history and your destiny in terms of church family. Now, the, here's the thing. I don't want to step on too many toes, but this actually should be before the, the second one. Now, we don't think of it that way. We think like blood family is more important than church family. And I, and I understand that, and I kind of get it to an extent. And I kind of agree with it to an extent. But the only reason that's true is because we live in a context in which there isn't much dissonance between the two. But I want you to think, for example, in a place where following Jesus and being a part of his church means being totally cut off, being disowned, and maybe even being, being, being uh, e e e even uh, submitted to the authorities for following Jesus. Maybe if in that context, the, the, the choice between Jesus and family is a very stark one, and it costs a lot to follow Jesus. Now, in the grace of God, most of us, uh, many of us, are in a situation 
um, where, where following Jesus with our family and our church family aligns a lot because our church family and our family are a lot of the same people. Like our family is Christians and it's a blessing or, uh, or, or we're, we're praying that they'll become Christians. Here's the thing. God has designed us to be a part of a forever family called the church. In Revelation 7, 9, that says that one day people of every tongue and tribe and family and nation will gather together and their primary identity will not be whether they're black or white, whether they're rich or poor, whether they were born in 1957 or 1987 or 2002. Their, their primary identity will not be whether they tend to vote Republican or tend to vote Democrat. Their primary identity identity will not be whether they were a slavage or not. Their primary identity will be in Christ. This is the destiny of everyone who is in Christ. And so what that means is, is being a part of the family means being committed to being a part of what God is doing through the family. Now, there are lots of great church. There's uh, uh, hundreds of awesome church families just in South Florida. Now, we need more. That's why we planted this church, because 97% of people in South Florida are not connected to a church family in a meaningful way and don't have a meaningful relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So I'm not saying that Cross United Church is the only or best church family to be a part of, but the reality is if you're going to be a part of a church family, to really lean in and be a part of it. And so that doesn't mean less than... it, it doesn't. Being a Christian, sometimes you get this bad rap of like just going to church on Sunday. There's more to Christianity than going to church on Sunday. That's true, but you know what? In 2018, being at church on Sunday puts you like in the 1%. You're like, you're like Navy SEAL level Christian if you just show up on a weekly basis to church. I'm serious. Like serious committed Christians are like three times a month type of it used to be, and, and I'm not trying to say it was better in the old days because I think there were some issues then as well. But it used to be committed Christians went to church three times a week. Now committed Christians go three times a month. So taking the church family seriously is more than just showing up to the gathering of worship, but it's not less. Number four, your history and your destiny. Community. And by that I mean the nation, city, area, region that you're a part of. So some of you live in Lighthouse Point or Deerfield Beach or Coral Springs or Pompano or Margate or Coconut. I mean, there's all Boca. There's just, there are all sorts of municipalities. What does it look like for you to lean in to the community where God has put you? Fort Lauderdale, there's just so many, right? So one thing like we've decided is important is that we're going to be a part of sports in the community. Now that's not hard for me because I love sports, even though I'm not good at them. Uh, I like to get serious about them and, uh, and to yell at six-year-olds because I want them to score a soccer goal um, and win the championship. Nine wins, one draw, no losses, not that we're counting. Um, the, the Lighthouse Point five- and six-year-old co-ed instructional league champions. I think I mentioned that. Did I mention that before? <laughs> so for us, that's what that's looked like. And so this year, we decided, you know, basketball... Adeline uh, has been doing a church league, which has been awesome. She's really enjoyed that. But we made, we made an intentional decision that this year, even though she was really upset about it at first, that she's going to be in the City of Lighthouse Point basketball program instead of uh, a church league. Not that the church league's bad, but because we want to invest in the community where we are a part. What does it look like for you to invest? It doesn't necessarily have to be that. That's just one way. And there are dozens and dozens of ways everywhere uh, in every, every city, every, every community to be a part of what God, uh, what the city is doing and then to be a part of what God is doing, the city doesn't even know that he's doing it. 
So read your history to find your destiny. Second, receive God's gift in whatever form it takes. So the first part of the sermon was really just kind of unpacking some application from the genealogies of Jesus. Here we're going to get into the story of um, the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary and Joseph. So I think I put them in the wrong order on the slide. So the first place we're going to go is Luke 1, 28 through 33. Luke 1, 28 through 33. Um, In the sixth month, my Bible has two, uh, two little bookmarks, so it makes it nice, makes it easy. Um, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent uh, by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel said to her, and came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Okay, so then this happens, she gets pregnant, and then Joseph hears about it, he's going to divorce her, and then he has a dream, Matthew 1, 20, <clears throat> 21. He's decided he's going to divorce her secretly, he's a, he's a good guy, doesn't want to make a big fuss about it, but then after he had considered these things, Matthew 1, 20, uh, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Um, It's interesting. Mary, the angel says, has found favor with God. Favor is a word that people throw out a lot, but it's actually, it's, it's basically a synonym with grace. That God has given her this opportunity. And he's given Joseph this opportunity. God is offering a gift to them, a a chance to be a part of the greatest gift that he will ever give. We talked last week about God sending gifts, his son and his spirit, Galatians 4. And here he's offering them the surprising gift of God and their opportunity to be a part of bringing that into the world. We see from here three things I think we can, we can follow in terms of their example. First, listen. Listen when God speaks. So the angel comes to them and he says, listen. And after they get over their shock, they listen. Sometimes we, um, we get frustrated because we feel like God isn't speaking. God is silent. We feel like God isn't responding. And I get that because we don't have like this, this sort of sense of his, his presence or his, 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 his you know, power in our life. But the reality is that we should never think that God isn't speaking because God has already spoken. The, the reality is too many people who say God isn't speaking or why isn't God responding never crack open their Bible or their Bible app to listen to him. If you want to hear God speak, Open your Bible or your Bible app, and I'm not picky, and God's not either. God doesn't care if it's a printed page or a screen, because the word is the same in either case. Read the Bible. 
Read the Bible. Listen to God when he speaks. Earlier this year with some of the uh, members of our launch team, we started a Bible reading plan called the F260 Bible Reading Plan. I love this Bible reading plan because it starts with Genesis and it goes to Revelation. You get the whole sweeping storyline of Scripture. You read uh, a lot of Scripture, but you don't read all of it, um, but you feel like you read all of it by the end. You touch every book and every major theme in Scripture, and it's one to two chapters a day. And, um, and so some, some of us started that, and we're almost uh, finished with it. Mine is saying, if my Bible app is correct, that I will finish on December 30th. And so I'm uh, going to plug away and try to, try to get that done. If you started that, but you haven't finished it, it's not too late to pick it back up. So you, so you slow down in 2 Samuel. Like, it's okay. Like, start again. If you, ha- if you weren't here as a part of that, if you've, if you've never done a Bible reading plan... I want to do that again. Let's do that again in 2019. Do that F260 plan. Why it's called F260? Not because it's a, like a Ford truck. It's because uh, it's F is for foundational and 260 is for 260 days. And so it's only 260 out of 365 days. And some of you are like, well, that, why, why, you know, why would we want to do that? Because we're all like inconsistent and we miss days, right? And so it's five days a week. One to two chapters a day, and by the end of it, you have read through a big chunk of the most important uh, and foundational parts of the scripture. And I can tell you, there have been studies done by multiple organizations, and the most important thing to be a growing Christian, the number one indicator above anything else is regular personal Bible engagement. There's nothing that comes close. People who read the Bible are growing spiritually. Of course, you can read the Bible and not grow spiritually because you're reading it with a hard heart and that sort of thing. But nobody ever grows spiritually without reading the Bible. It's impossible. And so, like, just read the Bible. It will literally take you, if, if, if it's like, if you're like me and you got three little kids, one chapter a day, even though it's five minutes, takes you about 25 minutes because you get interrupted every three seconds about something, especially if you're trying to do it in the morning. And all of a sudden, it's like they've never wanted so many bowls of cereal in their life. But you just plow through or you listen to it on audio, however it works. Listen when God is speaking. I mentioned already in January, we're going to have a series called Fixer Upper about spiritual health. One of the things we're going to talk about is how to read the Bible for yourself, how to engage the scripture for yourself. Um, So make plans to be here for that and make plans to read the Bible this coming year. Second, do not be afraid. Mary and Joseph are terrified. They're terrified. Notice both of them. The first thing the angel says is don't be afraid because they're totally freaked out. I, I, like This is um, my, probably my biggest struggle spiritually is just battling fear and worry. Like It's just like my besetting sin. Some people... Now, I have lots of sins. I, I like, it's like a buffet for me of sins that I, I choose from all the time. So this is a big, this is a big one for me. Uh, it's like my favorite thing at the buffet is a little fear, a little worry, anxiety. Put it on there. Go eat it. You know? um, so, so I'm not coming at this like from above you. I'm coming at this like from alongside of you. That, that it's so... We live in such an anxious time in our culture. We live in such an anxious moment that we've never had more and we've never been more comfortable and we've also never been more anxious. Because the problem is we have so much, all that's left to do is worry about it, unless you have Jesus. 
And even when you have Jesus, sometimes you worry about it. I have a friend of mine who's been clinically diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. And um, he, he's been to counseling, he's been to therapy, he's taken medication, and he's a great, amazing, great guy. And he's done all that stuff, which is important. Mental health like, is important, super important. And he's done all that, and I was talking with him one time, and we uh, were sharing some of our, our struggles, and I said, well, what really, what really helped you? Because he was at a point where he was like pretty debilitated by it and stuff, and, and he said, Danny, you know what? Like, that other stuff was good, like therapy was good, counseling was good, medication was helpful. But at the end of the day, those things were only like, they were incremental, and they, they were good. Like, when you're like desperate and, and you know, yes go and do that. Get help you need. But he said, at the end of the day, what really, really, for me, was the game changer was learning to trust the character of God, was learning to trust that God is sovereign, God is good, and God loves me. In, in, in the depth of your heart to know that he has demonstrated his goodness in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he sent his one and only son to die for sinners that the son was buried and raised from the dead and raised to newness of life and now sits at the right hand of the father where he daily, moment by moment, intercedes for you and there's nothing to be afraid of because he holds all of it, world history and your history in the palm of his hand. I love this quote from a guy named Frederick Beekner. It's one, part of it is used at like graduation ceremonies and stuff a lot, but it's actually a Christian quote. The grace of God means something like here is your life. You might never have been, but you are, because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. I love you. Don't be afraid. And then finally, number three, receive the gift. Receive the gift. God is offering Mary and Joseph this gift of being a part of what he's doing in the world, and they get to respond in faith. Initially fear, but then in faith. Will you receive the gift God is offering? Will you turn from your sin and trust in Christ today? Will you make that decision to truly follow Jesus? On that connection card I mentioned earlier, there's a uh, bottom check mark. And if you know that you need to take that step, that, that you, you know that God, is, God has a plan for your life and it starts with you walking toward Jesus in repentance and faith, turning from your sin and trusting him, go ahead and check that off. And then during the communion time, I'm actually going to be up here on the front row. You can bring that up to me and I, I'd love to talk with you and pray with you about that. Maybe you're not quite sure what that means and you still have some questions. I'd love to wrestle with some of those with you. Don't just kind of let it go, but, but take this moment and say, what, what is God calling me to do right now in this moment? Some of you, you've already received that gift of salvation at some point, and, and what you need to do is you need to, you need to receive it like afresh. I don't know if you've ever found a gift someone's given you, and you forgot about it, and then you found it again, and it's like Christmas all over again. Some of you, you need, you need to remember the depth of God's love for you and remember how much he's paid 
to purchase your, your fellowship with him and how much he loves you and you have nothing you can do that can separate you from the love of Christ, that your sin is not your defining factor, but Jesus' righteousness is your defining factor, that, that you are his and he is yours. I, um, I use my daughter. So my daughter was in a math competition at school last year and she got participation place and she got this green participation ribbon. And she was like disappointed and bummed out and whatever. But what I did, I took that participation ribbon and I use it as a bookmark. And every time I see that, I think, I don't love her any less because she didn't do good in, in the math competition. I don't love her any less because she's not like a mathlete. I want her to succeed because I love her, but her, her success has no bearing on how I, how I care for her and how I love her. And it reminds me, you know, that's how God is with me and he is with you. Like, he doesn't want you to succeed. He doesn't want you to be fruitful so that he'll love you more. But he loves you so much, he wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to obey. He wants you to walk in the destiny he has for you. He's written your history to prepare you for your destiny. And your history is his story. And your destiny is for his glory. And he doesn't love you based on how well you do that. He loves you, and so he wants you to walk in the, the peace and the forgiveness and the joy and the purpose that he is offering to you. Uh, my wife showed me this video uh, Priscilla Shire posted on Instagram. And it's this, it's this guy uh, walking across... Uh, now, I'm not going to try to do this because this would be a bad idea. But he's got like five chairs or six chairs lined up. And what he's doing is he's stepping on the seat. Now, I'm not even going to try. And he's leaning the chair down and then walking to the next one like dominoes and just like, just like, a, like, a, like a little like fairy elf thing, just like going across like, like no problem at all. And then there's another video. And it's this other guy, he's a little bigger guy, and he's trying to do the same trick. And he's using his kitchen table chairs. He's got them all lined up there. And he steps and he leans forward and the chair breaks under him and he just face plants. The chair shatters in pieces below him and all the chairs fall and he just falls flat on, literally on his face. And, uh, and, and, she posted, and she put it with this caption, me when I try to walk in another person's gifting. God, God has designed you and he's written your history to prepare you for a destiny that's different than mine and different from the person next to you. He's called you to be a child of God and to walk with him in obedience and purpose. So the, the, the question is, will you receive that gift? The gift of salvation and the gift of his purpose for you. Will you trust him that he knows what he's doing in the story of your life? Will you trust him that, that he... he has prepared your story at every step and he's prepared your DNA and he's made you how he wants you to be and he delights in you. And when you bring participation ribbons home from your Christian life and it's like your 15th best and they gave you a consolation prize that he doesn't love you any less. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, will you just help us to walk in the truth that because of Jesus' perfection, that our failure is no obstacle. Lord, I pray for those who are right now sensing they need to turn from their sin and trust in Christ, that you would take that and just drive that home and they would make that decision. They would check off that card. They'd come say hello and, and they'd, do some, they'd do some business with you. For those who need to truly receive the gift and really 
decide that this whole Christian thing, if it's going to be something, it's got to be more than just a little something. It's got to be all-encompassing all and, and change their life. I just ask that you would help us to trust that you've made us the way you want us, that you've written our history to prepare us for our destiny. And our history is your story. And our destiny is for your glory. That, that we would just walk in that for the glory of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name.